I love this industry so much. It's given me everything. It's allowed me to see the world and to try some of the best food in the world, drink some of the best wine in the world and meet incredible people. And so I feel really sad that a lot of people haven't had that same experience and haven't have felt like this industry burned them or they were treated badly. Today on Dirty Linen, we are heading to Sydney to chat to Danielle Alvarez from Fred's in Paddington. Danielle also appears on Good Food Kitchen, a new show that's coming up on Nine and ties in with good food that I write for and that Danielle writes for. Danielle, welcome to Dirty Linen. Thanks, Danny. I'm so happy to be on. I'm really thrilled to talk to you and, uh, you know, love traveling to Sydney, if only in audio fashion at the moment. But hopefully by summer, I'll be able to get back back to your town. How are things feeling there at the moment as the city is preparing to reopen? Well, it's it feels like there's an excitement in the air. Um, I, I was in a the park yesterday for a picnic and and people are just out and I think everyone's really ready to get back to restaurants get back to more normalcy in terms of going out in daily life you know who knows what that's really going to look like once we actually do it but um, I think people are excited and feeling really ready and we're certainly thinking about our friends in Melbourne and Victoria and hoping that they get to that place very soon. Thank you we will we're on we're on we're on, on a track, track. As well. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Some track. <laughs> We're definitely going to get there. That is that is one hundred percent sure. Um, so tell me what you do to prepare for reopening. I mean, you've sort of skipped over some seasons while you've been in lockdown. Like, I mean, the, Fred's is so produce focused. What's it? What do you actually? You know, what do you do to get that machine cranking again? Well, I guess there's a few um, lots of step that, steps that need to be taken. I think first and foremost is reconnecting with the staff and making sure that you have enough people and the same people that we closed with that are going to be coming back to join us. So I think we did a lot of work in the past few months just to keep in touch and to make sure that those people still felt engaged, which was really crucial to ensuring that when we reopen, we still have a full team. And thankfully we do. And we've hired some new chefs to join us. So that was probably step one, you know, something that we started really focusing on a few weeks ago when we knew the state would be rapidly approaching. Um, And then from then it's talking to the farms and finding out what we can expect for an estimated date or kind of a general idea of what we can expect to be able to put on our menu. Um, And then once we know that, we can actually start writing the menu and tweaking things, making little um, plans, testing recipes, that kind of stuff. That's sort of what we've been doing the past few weeks. And I think we're about ready. We're going to be doing heaps of training this week, which is the week before opening, and then prep and then get into opening on Monday the 11th. I mean, it just sounds so exciting, but I'm sure there's a bit of trepidation as well among the staff and I think also from diners, you know, like as much as everybody's excited to get back out there, uh, I think there'll be nervousness as well. Sure. I, I totally expect that as well. I mean, I think there are lots of people that are like, 
you know, I'm getting a lot of messages like I've booked for your opening night. I've booked for, you know, your opening week and all that. So there are people that are really dying to get out. But I know there's so many people that are hesitant that don't really feel like it's quite right yet. Or they're probably going to wait and see how things go before they decide to go out to restaurants. And, you know, that's fair. I think it's a really unsure time. Um, I think the staff have, have been feeling pretty good and, and they're generally really excited to come back. But there's sure there's going to be um, a bit of apprehension around how are the guests going to be? What are they going to feel like? There's so many things we have to deal with at this time that we weren't dealing with several months ago. And so it's all new things. It's all things that yeah, everyone's a bit nervous about, but I'm sure we'll get there like to a point where it starts to feel really good again. It's just that that beginning, that pre-opening jitters that gets everyone freaked out, I think. Yeah, I mean, I I, I remember that from our big reopening last spring um, that, you know, I mean, what you hope is, I guess, that the people that aren't quite ready to come back out, that sort of maps onto the restricted capacity anyway, and that it all sort of gears up in sync. I think it's such a big ask for, you know, hospitality professionals to hold that energy and create that safe space you know that buoyant feeling you know while while the staff is are, are sort of gearing up themselves that you, there's also this expectation and I, I'm sure you know like it is a desire to create an incredible experience for guests I, I just think it's um I really I respect it so much and I'm so grateful for all the people that are going to be finding that energy to to share, you know, to create those beautiful hospitality experiences that we're all missing. Yeah, well, you get it, Danny. I mean, that that is like at the end of the day, we're all humans like everyone else, whether we're in hospitality and putting on a brave face or not. I think um, when you understand that really it's not it's not magic what happens behind <laughs> the scenes, although hopefully that is what we deliver. It is just people trying to do their best, um, you know, trying to be creative. And we do it because we want to make people happy. I mean, I think ultimately that is what hospitality is about. So um, hopefully we're making ourselves and each other happy in the same step, because if we're not doing that, then we can't deliver that to the guests. So um, I, I think, um, it's going to be an interesting few weeks, but um, generally I would say for, at least for us and for my team, we're feeling excited and like, we can't wait to get back there. Mm. And I mean, the way that Fred's is set up, it is such an open kitchen. I guess there's no hiding from, <laughs> from um, anyone. There never has been, which, you know, I joke about like, God, if I ever opened another restaurant, I'm never doing that again. Cause <laughs> it's so, it can be so draining at the same time. It's also extremely rewarding because, we get to see people enjoying things right in front of us and they're talking to us all the time like telling us how much they loved everything and um when i when i get to see a guest tell a chef in a particular section that they loved the thing that they made which out without even telling me like completely bypassing me that brings me so much joy because if you're in a back 
a house kitchen, you're never going to get that. And I think for a chef, that's like the greatest feeling in the world. Mm. I mean, and it really speaks to this whole sort of energy exchange that has to happen, you know, where you really do hope that guests are coming with kind hearts and, uh, you know, re- ready to shower praise where they and feel support. it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I have to say, like, you might think this is a bit of a weird thing for me to say, but I've never actually eaten at Fred's because I've tried, but I've never been able to get a reservation on my bre- oh, brief trips Danny, to Sydney. Come on. But I know, don't, but what I wanted to say is that I have, this is, this is where it gets weird. I have stood outside the restaurant and just kind of peered in and just honestly, the, I could feel what it felt like to be in there, just the golden glow and that you do, I really could sense that the exchange, that it is such an exchange that, you know, this exchange of energy, this exchange of, plates and food and feeling and um so I don't know I feel like as much as there are the challenges with the open kitchens uh that maybe it's a little bit what we need at the moment to create you know to really boost that sense of empathy and the sense of you know common humanity that we that the hospitality experience you know it, it, both sides have got to come to the party no that's that's totally right I mean I think um the fact that it is so open, it's not just so open for us. It's also really open for the guests. So I think, you know, I do like 99% of the time feel a genuine like um, excitement from people coming into that space. They want to see what we're doing. They can't believe that it's all happening right there in front of their eyes and there's a big fire and all of that. And, and at the same time, it's a really beautiful dining room with soft lighting and, you know, comfy chairs and all that. So it's a really like warm, welcoming place. And even if you come in with a bit of apprehension or, you know, you think you're not going to like it or you think, uh, you know, you have your preconceived ideas about what we do. I generally think that by the end of it, people have let their guards down a little bit. They get it a little bit more and they're a little bit more understanding of the challenge of what we do. Because the, the chefs in my kitchen really... They work tremendously hard. And I think when the lights turn on and everyone comes in the dining room is a bit like that curtain coming up on a stage and they have to perform and they do it really in a way that makes it look effortless. But I mean, not all the time, but most of the time. And I think people that get the chance to see that firsthand can start to appreciate a bit more. A lot of people will even just say, my God, it must be so hot in front of the fireplace. And I think, well, that's how most, most kitchens are around the world. And that's a, that's one small thing that makes it challenging. You know, there's so many other facets to it, but anything we can do to bring down while also bringing up that curtain and showing people the reality of cooking for people in a restaurant, I think is, I think is good. I, I really mm. do think it's good. Yeah, it's um, it's sort of like, yeah, opening people up to the magic but also demystifying at the same time. It's a really interesting balance. Yeah. So what about the practicalities? I mean, the big topic that a lot of people are talking about is vaccination and, uh, you know, the fact that only vaccinated diners will be allowed to come in. Uh, but uh, but as I understand it, New South Wales restaurants haven't really had um, – uh, a clear direction in how that's going to work, what the mechanism is. T- tell me how that's all shaping up. Well, I think um, 
I guess I'm not the expert, but I do know that the vaccine passport is something that is going to come. I know that for the 11th, it won't be ready. So so we've sort of been advised to be checking like vaccination certificates, which um, at the time of booking, people are told um, to people are told that that will be checked when they come into the restaurant. And we're just going to have to have an extra person on checking that as people come into the venue. And that's that's how it's going to work. Mm, it'll be interesting to see how amenable people are to showing it. Will. It. it will. It yeah. will. I mean, I, ho- I really hope um, people don't take out their frustrations on the lovely people in the restaurant. Um, that's probably my biggest fear, but I, I, I have faith and I have uh, real hope that the people that come into Fred's will come with kindness and um, respect and understanding of, of the rules. Mm. And what about among staff? I mean, Mary Vale, it's like owns the restaurant. Has, have they been very proactive in talking about staff vaccinations? Yes. Um, you know, I think it's, um, They've they've had great communication, I think, over the past several months um, and a lot of opportunity to to hear people out, hear people's apprehensions out. Um, I think most staff um, and I don't have any figures or anything, but I think most staff um, are on board and having their vaccinations and um I think anyone that isn't or can't due to health reasons, there's conversations that have been had with those people and, and I assume a plan, but um, they won't be working when we reopen. Yeah, right. Interesting. Because, I mean, in Victoria, we've just had the announcement that uh, if you if you work in hospitality, you will need to at least have one shot by the time restaurants are open and then follow up with the second. So it's, um, yeah, I mean, I guess it's, it's a really interesting landscape. I don't know if interesting is the right word. It's a bit fraught. I guess most well, people, it's, it's totally just, fraught. Yeah. And, and <laughs> I don't think we've ever, as humanity, I, I can't think of any time where we've been in this kind of scenario before. I mean, you know, I really, I don't want to get into the vaccine debate, um, but there's a lot of things that you are required to have vaccines for anyway. And it just feels like this is one of those things where, um, yeah, people are are not on board for whatever reason. Um, and and I think there's going to be challenge with that for sure. Mm, well, I really, as you say, you know, I really hope that your frontline workers there are not, um, yeah, that it's not too draining or that there's not, there's not too much conflict. I, I imagine at a restaurant like Fred's where people need to book in and they, they are aware of it and, you know, they're probably people that go out quite a bit. So hopefully it's just another it's another restaurant where they have to show their status. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. I mean, we have great customers, like honestly, some of the nicest people I've met in Sydney that, that come to us time and time again. And I really hope that, you know, that that continues. <laughs> mm. oh, I'm sure it will. Yeah. Um, so I don't know how much um, you stay in touch with your alma mater, Chez Panisse, but I noticed that they've decided not to reopen even though they can, but they just find that in the environment of Delta and with, I guess, even a much more fraught vaccine environment in the US and, you know, an enormous caseload that they've decided to stick to takeaway and, and markets. Yes, yeah, so you're obviously aware of that. Yeah, yeah, I did see that they made that decision um, and they're sort of looking towards like a 2022 
reopening, um, which would be great. I, I know so many people are missing going into that restaurant. Um, I, you know, I think it just, it just talks a lot to what Chez Panisse is about. Like, it's such a, um, I don't know what the right word is, but like, it's such a caring place that I, I sort of think the total abundance of caution at every turn and just not wanting to put anything at risk um, is probably why they've made that decision. And that, you know, they've, they've behaved that way for the past 50 years. So I don't see why that would change now. So if they're able to keep that going and keep that um, happening, and I'm sure, you know, they have a lot of great support in their community. So I'm sure they do. Then, you know, good on them. I, I wish, I wish, um, I wish them all the best when they do reopen. I'd love to see it. Mm, that's so interesting. Cause yeah, as you talk about that care and, you know, being careful it just I don't know for some reason what came into my mind was someone picking herbs and just like just this really delicate like you know frond by frond I've seen a bowl of dill actually or maybe some chervil and it's just like you know each tiny little piece of green is is looked after like a baby yeah no it's true I mean it's it's um total integrity I think like beginning to end um is i guess it might feel wrong for them to to push through an opening if they didn't feel like it was the safest thing for their community because that's what they've been advocating for for 50 years mm, yeah it's it's interesting and i think it's also you know the uncertainty of opening and closing and i guess with some businesses it's harder it's hard for any business to you know suddenly close and then gear up again but perhaps for some businesses it's it's harder for than others yeah and i you know i think um i think focusing a lot on on the staff as well like there's there's a lot of staff that worked at Japanese for many many years um when i was there and i know we're still working there at the time and a lot of them are, are quite a bit older which is great to see but i'm sure a lot of that that staff are are more apprehensive about coming back as well so they probably had to consider that too mm, yeah it's really interesting mm. um now we were chatting earlier of, uh, for a story i'm writing about the new tv show and i want to stay in california and get you to reprise a story that totally charmed me about some scrambled eggs and I'll just I'll just set it up by saying that in the first episode of the show which I think is it's a it's a really nice show you make scrambled eggs and I mean like I watch food shows you know I love watching them and I feel like you always pick something up no matter how much you you know you might think you know about a dish but I have to say I was not expecting to be completely floored by the way <laughs> that you scrambled eggs Danielle so talk me through it and then tell me the story behind it. Um, so the process of the scrambled eggs, and, and I guess maybe I'm going to start with the history because I can't really talk about the eggs too much without saying really where this like technique came from. But when I was a young cook in San Francisco, I was fortunate to work at a restaurant called Boulette's Larder, which is in the very iconic ferry building of San Francisco, which is where one of the greatest farmers markets in the world would, was right outside our, our back door, actually. So that was really wonderful. But the, the leader of the kitchen and owner of the restaurant, a woman named Amaral Schwartner, and um, she had this way of cooking her scrambled eggs that was pretty well known and famous throughout the city. We did breakfast Monday to Friday. And I, I 
I didn't really understand it when I first got there, but I do remember like before working there, people saying, oh my God, she makes the best eggs. I don't know how she does it, but they're incredible. And um, I, I got a job there and I was not, no one was allowed to touch the eggs or to make the breakfast for, for months and months and months. I think it was only the fact that um, I think she got sick or something and had to be out for a few weeks that they asked me if I would do it. And it was like the most nerve wracking thing. I mean, like being handed the spatula and the nonstick pan was like, <laughs> I'm not ready to scramble the eggs. Yeah, you know, I guess a bit like the, you know, what you hear about like Japanese sushi masters, like you just make the rice for years before you're able to make anything else. Um, so I was kind of, you know, thrown into the fire. And um, I remember watching her a lot, like before this happened, it, it was kind of sudden when I was on the breakfast, but um, she has this way of cooking the eggs. She'd take three eggs in, in the bowl, scramble them up really, really well. But then she'd take a big knob of butter and sort of over like a soft, medium heat, she'd put the butter in cold swirl it around the pan and then immediately tip in the eggs. So you'd have this kind of pool of the scrambled eggs, but this knob of butter right still in the middle. And she would say, you know, you put that in and then you wait like 10, 15 seconds, something like that. And then just with a spatula, you start like pulling from around the outside. You create a bit of these like folds, like you almost treat the eggs as if it it's a little bit of like fabric or something like that. And you keep the butter solid and cold the entire time. So if you've made it perfectly, your egg should be finished and the butter should be just melting at the very last second. And that whole process, what, probably takes about two minutes or something like that. But it was just this like beautiful choreography and dance and it was hard to get right, especially in the heat of service when you have you know, 20 orders for eggs on the line. But um, uh, it's something that always stuck with me. I always felt a huge sense of responsibility around, you know, producing the the perfect scrambled eggs in her absence. And it's how I do eggs ever since. I mean, I, I don't know how to do scrambled eggs another way now. So they're, they're luxurious, they're velvety, they're silky. And, um, and I made them on the show and I didn't have time to go into this whole story. So I'm happy that your listeners can hear a bit of that now and I hope they can watch and, and see how it's done. Definitely. I mean, to me, it says something about the Zen of cooking where I can just imagine that, you know, really bustling short order kitchen with, you know, 20 things on the go. But then, you know, you really have to attend to this pan, right? It's like, you know, everything has to drop a little bit silent and, you know, you just have to really be there. And so that was a wildly open kitchen as well. Like, I mean, I think I turned around and there was probably like a couple of feet between me and someone sitting at a table right there. So, oh. so I, I feel like that's probably where I started to like embrace this feeling of like, you know, it's one thing to, I guess, do it for yourself in your home kitchen, but to be able to, to, silence the noise around you and focus on what your hands are doing. Uh, you know, you're attentive, you're listening to what the pan is doing, you're smelling what's coming out of there. And all of those cues are teaching, telling you what to do next and when to do it. So it's, it's really like intuitive cooking at its best. How much of that 
feeling or that attention is still possible you know for you when you're you're running a restaurant and it's it's so busy there's so many different dishes um i think it's um it's just become how i cook like quite nicely like i think when you're a young cook and and you really have to like think about everything you're doing things just take longer because it's not like muscle memory it's it's like okay this is happening so now i need to do this okay, that's happening. Now that's my cue for this to happen. I think that when you've been cooking a long time and you are pretty in tune with your abilities and and the thing that you're cooking, you don't even need to have that internal dialogue anymore. It just happens. Like you find yourself just reaching for the plate at the right moment. You find yourself reaching for the salt at, at that time. And, and it kind of just happens in a, in a really weird way. Mm, that yeah, that just sounds like a really nice zone to be in. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, but that's I guess that's the difference between being like a professional chef and you know someone who cooks as a hobby or whatever. I I've done it for so many hours um, that I guess that's how long it takes to get to that place. But I imagine that's how you know a professional athlete feels or like an incredible artist, like whenever they can just get into that headspace where they create or do that thing that they have been practicing and doing over and over and over for so long, it really just becomes like it takes on a life of its own. Mm. Tell, tell me about, let's talk a bit about spring. Like what are you hearing from your producers? Like what's coming through? What are you looking forward to cooking? Um, well, we've got incredible, um, beautiful snow peas and sweet English peas coming um, via a friend of mine who um, buys from some small local farms and I tried them just last week and they were unbelievably sweet, just like raw straight out of the pod. Um, so I'm really excited for things like that. Um, I think it's also the time of year where all the brassicas are blossoming, um, where a lot of the herbs are flowering. So it's the time of year that I actually do put quite a lot of flowers and pretty things on the plate where mostly <laughs> I'm just about give me the things that make it delicious. But um, this time of year, you really need to embrace everything from root to flower. Um, and it changes really quick in Australia, especially in Sydney, I think, because it it's, gets really hot really fast. So the spring season is incredibly short-lived. Um, so we probably will only have those things around for a couple more weeks. And then we're looking right into tomatoes, stone fruit, um, eggplants, capsicums, that kind of stuff, um, which probably will be hitting its peak, you know, around that like December, January time. Wow. I've just got such an opening night feeling in my, in my belly, you know, like that there's just flowers are blooming. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, it's kind of incredible that this like rebirth um, of the city is coinciding with the total rebirth of, you know, nature. Not that we have a particularly, um, terrible winter here it's super mild but it, it is kind of poetic I think the the sun is shining things are warming up and people are ready to also be going outside too absolutely I think you know it's um I feel like it's probably too soon to say how can we look back on this period but let's try to do it anyway I mean we've been in this pandemic you know in various ups and downs for 18 months do you have a sense you know whether you've come out come out of it or you're coming out of it you know 
changed or with a different perspective? Like, um, how do you, what do you think? Yeah, I think um, if I look at it a little bit more like globally, I, I feel, and I don't mean to put a downer at the end, but I, I feel a little bit sad for what's happened to our industry over the past two years. And I really wonder what it's going to take to have a better recovery and a better future. I think the amount of staff that we have lost has been, you know, we were already struggling to find people mm. that were passionate about this industry. Um and now it's so much worse. And I really think it's become the limiting factor. Like I I can't understand. I, I mean, I, I do understand and I don't because I love this industry so much. It's given me everything. It's allowed me to see the world and to try some of the best food in the world, drink some of the best wine in the world and meet incredible people. And so I feel really sad that a lot of people haven't had that same experience and have have felt like this industry burns them or they were treated badly or, um, you know, just the joy and the excitement around this industry, I think has been lost a little bit. And I really think, you know, the people, those of us that still love it and are passionate about it really need to keep that going and be the best leaders possible that we can be. And that's not just about cooking and food. Yeah. Uh, well, I think once again, you know, this is where it's it's a partnership between the customers and the people working in the industry. And I mean, I totally agree with what you're saying. There's so many people that have left and, you know, Australia and, you know, lots of other countries have had many of their internationals leave, which has been devastating. Um, but I just think it, it there's a lot of there's an onus on customers to be willing to pay the true cost of what it what it you know of dining out and also to bring their very kind hearts to the experience and you know and of course you know their understanding it's it's a really tricky one you know I I, I remember this from this when Melbourne reopened last year when we reopened the first time for the most part everyone was just like super excited and grateful and then after we'd been through the grind of our long lockdown there was definitely that feeling still as well and that was probably most people but there was also a bit of a a, a bit more entitlement creeping in and a bit more anger and a bit more dissatisfaction and a bit of a well I've waited so long for this it has to be exactly what I expected to be um and I just really hope that you know people come with a greater sense of understanding with a willingness to spend and with um yeah just kindness yeah, i mean i think if people really understood or saw the bottom line on a lot of small business restaurants um you know pnls they they might really stop questioning so much why things cost what they do like there's nothing that upsets me more than when i hear people complaining about things like that because and and yeah it's going to be a shock because actually it should be more than what we've been paying um but if you only knew the real cost of operating in the way that we do i i think people wouldn't wouldn't say it um, quite so loudly a lot of the time, but um, you're right. I mean, the the financial side of it is one thing. I also think it's been great to see um, a lot of leaders in the industry sort of mature and grow and change their models to be more sustainable for their teams and involve more inspiring 
um, training aspects of their businesses. I think that's so great. And I think that's part of that's the second half of how we're going to get people to to join this industry, to help us make it super exciting again, you know, to bring Australia, you know, more to the forefront of the culinary landscape is we need to get young chefs and young floor staff and young sommeliers and bartenders to, to see the real value of, of what we do. And if the customer can come to the table with that excitement and, you know, appreciation for what we do, then I think it'll just happen that much quicker. Mm, absolutely. I mean, I guess from an employer's point of view, staff have never been so valuable, like so valued. Hope and hopefully that means that they're valued. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. Well, you have to right now. Like honestly, if if you're not treating your staff like they are the number one most important thing, then uh, you're going to find yourself in a situation where you don't have them. So mm. yeah, there's so much to watch and wait for and work towards. Um, Danielle, it's just such an absolute pleasure to speak to you. Thank you so much for sharing your perspective. Um, oh, goodness me, I'm so excited for you to reopen. <laughs> I'm excited for everyone who gets to experience it and, yeah, and for your staff who get to create that experience with you. Thank you so much, Danny. It's been a pleasure talking about all of these very important topics. And like you said, we will see what happens next. Yeah. And hopefully next time I come to Fred, it won't just be to peer through the window. Yes. <laughs> Stop being creepy, Danny. We need to get you in the doors. Yeah. No more lurking. All right. <laughs> you take care. Thanks, Danny. Bye. This is Dirty Linen, and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is a Deep in the Weeds production.